0: Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. All right, I want to start with this image. Boom. Anybody recognize this image? What do we see here? What's up here? Notre Dame, yeah, Notre Dame. Twenty nineteen. This is the start of Holy Week. Twenty nineteen. This happened. Did they ever find out if it was arson or if it was accident? I, mean, I can't. I don't. I can't imagine that it was accidental. During during the the months leading up to this, there was something like twenty churches in France alone that were burned down. Um, this was just the, obviously the most significant. France has been known as the first daughter of Christendom, like the, the, I don't want to call it the Christian empire, but like Christianity really took to, put it this way, uh, Christianity first got into the soil in many ways in Europe, first in France, All right? So this is like the gospel entering into the soil of France. So France was the first daughter of Christendom and Notre Dame was the, it was the, um, the image of Catholicism in Europe, in many ways. Uh, was That was, that was... I wept. I wept. Um, Notre Dame was one of the most moving places that I had been to when I went to... Uh, when I was in Europe. This was, that was in the f- winter of 2010? 2009? 2010? Somewhere there. Um, oh man, it just was amazing. Notre Dame, of course, means Our Lady, right? So it's an image of Mary. It's an image of the church. Um, this is, I remember watching this and thinking, this is the diabolical mockery of what Christ desires for his bride. Right? Jesus says, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already blazing. Like He's like, I want my bride, the church, to be filled with the fire of my love. Right? Every image of the sacred heart. What's coming out of the sacred heart? Say it if you know it fire right his heart is filled it's this inferno of love and mercy and glory and he wants that fire in us in his bride the church right and that happened literally right in a one particular woman we've talked about it this year a lot our blessed mother mary right mary is the personal face of the church mary is the personification of the church and uh at the annunciation it's like a spark was thrown into her womb and the fire began to blaze there right you see that image of Our Lady Guadalupe, Mary is clothed in the sun. She's a fireball of glory. This is the devil's mockery of what Jesus wants for his bride, the church. He wants it just to be burned down. And in many ways, I wanted to start with this image because like, this is in some ways an icon of where we are in the church. Gone are the days where like, people are flooding into the church. You know, for every one of you who's become Catholic, statistically, between six and a half and seven of us will leave the church. We call that a hemorrhage. (laughs) A hemorrhage, right? You can look at the statistics, the numbers of mass attendance, numbers of baptisms, numbers of weddings, numbers of ordinations, numbers of parishes, numbers of Catholic schools, Nowhere in the United States are any of those numbers going up. Pretty much the only place in the world where those numbers are going up is, uh, is the African continent. They kind of can't build seminaries fast enough in Africa, which is pretty awesome. So, like, I think pretty soon, Africa will be sending missionaries to us, whereas we used to send missionaries there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Things are in rough shape in many ways. I wanted to start with this, just because we need to have a sober vision of where we are. You've entered into something that is, um, that needs you. Let me put it that way. Like the church, the church needs you. The church needs you to be engaged. This parish needs you to be engaged. We do not need mere consumers sitting in the pews. People who just come on Sundays just to like, yeah, this is good. I'm going to leave now. I just came for my hour. We need people to be engaged. You know, like on 9-11, everybody running away from the building. But there are people who are running towards the buildings, right? I I think of you folks who've become Catholic. (laughs) It's like there's so many people running out of the building, and here you are running into it. And the only reason the only reason to become catholic is if it's true if it's the if it is the means by which jesus who is god in the flesh intended for us to find forgiveness of sins flourishing for our hearts and to achieve our full destiny that he made us for that's the only reason to do it like it might suck but i'm running into that building because it's true it's true I want to talk to you guys tonight about what you have signed up for, and what I want to do is I first want to hold intention. I want to hold intention. Uh, this first point: the Christian life is not working for God. Like you've not just become employees of God the Father, and thank God for that. Right? Remember that story of the parable of the prodigal son. Right? You've got the two sons, the one who's the the prodigal who takes his father's inheritance and spends it in loose living all that stuff prostitutes all that he ends up feeding pigs and comes to his senses comes home but you have the other son the older son who is upset when the father welcomes the son home it's like i've been with you all this time you've never given me a kid so much as to feast on the tragedy the tragedy is that son forgot that he was a son that son lived in the father's house but did not let himself experience the father's love. Like, you have become adopted sons and daughters of God the Father. You are, your job is to not work for God. Your job is to be a son and daughter. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. The being comes before the doing. The being becomes comes before the doing. Back to this whole Marian idea. It was Hans Urs von Balthasar, this great Swiss theologian you've heard me quote before. He's the one who said, the Marian dimension of the church precedes the petrine dimension of the church what i mean by that is like the openness the let it be done unto me according to thy will like let just the receptivity that comes first before like the petrine the the peter the the doing the achieving the action right the mary the marian dimension comes first first comes our relationship then comes out of that our identity, then flowing out of that is our mission. Relationship, identity, then mission, right? First is our relationship to God, that forms who, are, who we are, and flowing out of that comes our, our mission. Most people get it backwards, right? You go to parties, you're meeting somebody for the first time, and like, you know, after you get their name, what's the next question you ask? What do you do, do, you do? right? Like, tell me your mission, so I can know more about who you are, right? Like, Relationship, identity, mission. Relationship, identity, mission. So you've, you've, you've received your relationship, a new fundamental relationship, part of the family of the Trinity that's defined your identity. This is who you are now, your mission. So you, uh, should you accept, should you choose to accept it, right? Dun, 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 dun. All right. So, um... If you were to poll, I'm going to put, Holly, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay, if you were to poll and ask the average Catholic, Holly, like, if you were to say, all right, average Catholic, people, person who comes to Mass on Sundays, what is your mission? What is the mission? What do you suppose they would say? To be a good person. To be a good person. Okay, yeah, I agree. Any, any other thoughts? To bring other people to faith. Evangelization, good. Okay, bring other people to faith, good. Share the gospel. Maybe get to heaven, that might be thrown in there, right? Maybe, <laughs> hopefully, right? All right, I wanna share an image of, of, of the mission. Okay, now that you're Catholic, you're Catholic, now what? Here's the mission, I wanna share this image. I wanna invite you to close your eyes for a second just to kind of like enter into this. I want you to imagine that you are tucked in bed and you're just comfortably sleeping, right? Dreaming, sweet dreams. And into the dream comes this sort of disquieting sense that settles upon you, right? You're you're agitated and you stir and you begin to wonder what what you're smelling. What is that smell? And your sort of deep unconscious mind is trying to sort it all out. What is that? What is that? Right? And then you suddenly realize that's smoke. And you sit upright in bed and and there's adrenaline that begins to pump through your body like, yeah, and you're like, yes, that that is smoke. And you start to hear the smoke alarm because you were in such a deep sleep, right? All of a sudden, you're hearing the beeping going off. You're hearing the smoke alarm. You begin to notice how hot it's in your, how hot it is in your room because you kind of left the door open and the smoke has gotten in, right? You open your door. You peer down the hallway. You see flames starting to crawl up the wall, and you freak out. Your entire house, you're realizing, is engulfed with flames, and you begin screaming for help. you're choking right because all the toxins that's in the air the smoke that's that asphyxiation that's settling in and before you can open the window before you can open the window you just kind of collapse to the floor and you tell yourself oh my gosh i can't believe this is how i go that this is how i die and for a moment You think of all the things that you did. You think of all the things that you didn't do and wish you did. You think of all the things, all the people that you wish you could have said, I love you and say goodbye to, right? And right before you black out, you think you see something, maybe someone coming through the flames up the steps and then just blackness. And the next thing you know, you're gasping for air and you notice the cold night air against your skin. You realize you're outside. And you feel something pressing against your face, on your nose. And you feel the, the rush of air, oxygen, pushing itself into your lungs. And you, it dawns on you that someone is holding you, like your whole body weight is being cradled in someone's arms. And you open your eyes and you look into the eyes of a firefighter. And he takes off his masks and he says, you're safe. He says, I've got you. He says, you're going to be okay. And you ask, who are you? And the man says, I'm Jesus, and I need your help. And that's, and that's when it dawns on you. There's no other fire trucks around. There's no sirens, no other firefighters. It's just you and him. He sits you up, and you look down the street at all the other houses on the street, and every other house on that street is engulfed in flames. And he says, he looks at you again, will you help me? Friends, you can open your eyes here. That is the mission. That's the mission. The Christian life is about public witness and rescue. It's about public witness and rescue. You have not just got yourself a great little private hobby called faith. You just got marching orders. There are people trapped in houses and Jesus saying, will you help me? That's the mission. Go back, remember at the beginning of the year, sure this this image of the bad news that the devil is like this human trafficker right jesus describes him as the strong man so can someone enter the strong man's house and take his possessions unless he first binds the strong man and then he can take his possessions right this is the whole point of the incarnation that jesus enters into flesh and blood and bone and brokenness of humanity not simply to tell stories not simply to walk on water and wow people he entered into our human story in order to go to war to rescue oh come oh come emmanuel and ransom captive israel where right? he enters into the human story to rescue his bride humanity you and me from the clutches of an enemy that we were helpless against that our race and from the very beginning sold ourselves into slavery so jesus storms the beaches of creation Right? He enters into the story. He's in the manger. He's on the cross in order to fight, to confront somebody for the same reason that these guys are here. What are you doing there, soldiers? Just last week, we're in D- D- I was in D.C. D- with our 8th graders. We went to the World War II, all the other monuments, right? All the monuments. It's like, why did they go there? Why, why did those guys go there? Not to just like, check out the sand in Normandy. <laughs> they, they, they didn't have shovels to make castles. They came with guns to fight, to rescue people that were in the grip of a tyrant, right? This is your story. You've been rescued. I'm thinking, especially if you Robert, right? Your baptism, that is how and when Jesus' rescue touched you. You were transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of our God and Father, the kingdom of light. That's what St. Paul says in Colossians. You have been transferred. You got new paperwork, right? Like stamp, sign, seal, delivered. You don't belong to the enemy anymore. This is not where you live anymore. You live with God the Father. You have an incredible new address. It's called God's Heart. That's where you live, right? That's your home. That's who you are. Like little Annie, or orphan Annie, right? She gets to live with, I don't know, is that even right? Am I, am I even thinking of the right story? Yeah. Who's the, who's the guy? Daddy Warbucks, Daddy Warbucks right? Like, <laughs> right? All right. I agree it's scary.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wait, what? What did I just miss? <laughs>
0: <laughs> wait, you, wait, what's going on?
1: I missed it. <laughs> he said, Saturday. I agree it's scary.
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. All right. So, you've been delivered. You've been transferred. And the rest of the world that is not yet under the dominion of Jesus needs you. It needs you. And it needs us as Catholics, right? Your witness, your testimony, your story. Friends, I, I don't know if I can find it. I, in the book of Revelation, what I've been just... I've been I, I've been rocked by this verse from the book of Revelation for the past couple months. It says, They defeated him... Meaning the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Like the defeat of the enemy comes through Jesus' blood, first of all, and the word of your testimony. Like you telling your story. Your story has so much power. You are called to be tellers of your story so as to be agents of transformation in the world. Right? People... We love stories, right? We are storytelling creatures. We love hearing stories, watching stories, going to see stories on plays, right, on stage. Like, your story, it is a sword. It is a weapon. It is the thing that's going to bring down the enemy to bring the kingdom of God to earth. That is the mission through your story. Robert, when you were baptized, when you were baptized, like, yes? Revelation 12.11. Thank you. Revelation 12.11. <laughs> way to go.
1: Thumbs,
0: thumbs, 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 Uh huh. When you were baptized, right? You, after you were baptized, you received a new lit baptismal candle, right? Receive the light of Christ. You've been enlightened by Christ. Walk always as a child of the light. You receive this new flame. And then after that, Deacon Rich and I, we had this great idea that we were like, okay, we should have Robert then go out and light everyone else's candles. Like that moment, what you were doing, new flame from Jesus, from the Paschal candle, and then you went out, you were like this giddy arsonist, right? Just joyfully setting fire to all these people, right? To their candles. That is like a glimpse of the mission. That's a glimpse of the mission. Go light someone's candle. Go find someone who needs their candle lit. Go find someone whose candle has been blown out. Go light someone's candle. Archbishop Vigneron, who's the Archbishop of Detroit, he wrote an incredible document. It's called Unleash the Gospel. It's, It's an easy read. It's phenomenal, but I want to share this quote. He says the special calling and privilege of the lay faithful, lay faithful, by the way, means like laity. That's, that's all y'all, right? The, the, not deacon, right? Because you get ordained people are, are clerics. Non ordained people are the laity, right? The special calling and privilege of the lay faithful is to bring Christ into the secular world. Since the laity in accordance with their station in life live in the midst of the world and its concerns, they are called by God to exercise their apostolate, think mission, their mission in the world like leaven with the ardor of the Spirit of Christ. Their role is to transform every aspect of the culture through the gospel, family life, education, government, business, the media, entertainment, sports, science, the arts. They do so both by engaging in temporal affairs and ordering them according to the plan of God and by revealing Christ by word to those around them. I want to highlight one aspect of this and it's this sentence their role is to transform every aspect of the culture can you hear me every aspect of the culture every aspect every aspect how do you think we're doing in this department so far I mean, I, I don't know what the percentage would be, but let's just, let's just, I don't know, throw out some numbers. If you were to think, if you visualize the map of the culture, how much territory, what percentage of the territory do you think belongs to the enemy? What percentage of the territory do you think belongs to Jesus and the gospel? Let's just, I mean, just take a stab. Because no one actually knows. What do you think? Yeah. 92% that Jesus' flag is only an 8% of things? Is that what you're saying? That we have claimed 8% of the culture? 8% of the world? Yeah, I'll go Eighty-five, fifteen. 85, 15 Okay, so family life. Do you think the gospel has infiltrated the culture of family life in the world? You don't have to answer. The education. How much has the, go- the gospel infiltrated government? How much has the gospel infiltrated business, Wall Street, like how much has the gospel inf- infiltrated media? Zero. <laughs> one, point zero one? Entertainment. Sports. Like, when you see an athlete be like, like, yeah, that's the gospel. Tim Tebow taking a knee. Thank you, Tim. That's awesome. But like, we need more? He's a great man. He's a great man. Don't get me wrong. He does amazing things. But how much is it infiltrating which is infiltrating science the arts ah we have a lot of work to do roll them sleeves up catholics roll them sleeves up invade every aspect and he says and by revealing christ by word to those around them i want to say something about that um so saint francis of assisi who is an amazing saint um is said to have said preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Who, is, who has heard that quote before? Yeah, okay. Um, Francis of Assisi never, ever, 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 times a thousand, ever said that. There's no point, there's no record of him ever saying it anywhere, any literature, for Franciscan literature. You know why he never said that? Because Francis of Assisi could not shut up about Jesus. <laughs> He was so like, gospel-focused that if like, there, pe- there weren't people for him to preach to, he'd be like, fine, I'm going to preach to the birds, and to the bees, and to the bushes, and to the trees. Like, I'm going to preach to everything and every creature under heaven. You couldn't shut the guy up about Jesus. Like, There's an amazing story about Francis that he, he crossed into, so the, the, the crusades were happening. He said, I'm going to go convert the sultan. <laughs> yeah, okay. And he, he snuck into the Muslim camp, okay, crossed enemy lines, made his way into the tent of the sultan, right? He makes, he gets this audience, I think it was with Saladin, right? He gets this audience with the sultan. You know what the sultan said? They had this amazing conversation. The sultan said, if I met two more Christians like you, I probably would convert. He was so blown away by his courage. He was so blown away by his kindness, his love, his conviction. If I met two more Christians like you, I'd probably convert. But yeah, I'm sure Francis is like, just preach the gospel all the time. It's just, you know, don't, you don't have to talk about it too much, right? <laughs> what? You have to use words. You have to use words. And the word you have to use over and over again is the name of Jesus. You have to practice saying the name of Jesus. You have to say Jesus' name. There's power in Jesus' name. We have to say Jesus' name out in public. Right? Cannot be ashamed of saying the name of Jesus. Can't be ashamed of the cross. St. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We are very ashamed of the gospel. Right? You go to Applebee's and you're like. Did anybody see? Right? Like. Oh, my gosh. We, uh, we just got. In the name of the Father and of the Son. Bring holy water. Light some incense. I don't know. Like. We need to not be ashamed. We need to not be ashamed. The gospel is power. It is explosive power, right? Evangelization. We have to bring the gospel, the good news, uh, to every creature. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a, he's a new parishioner here, great guy, and uh, he was saying he was telling me the story. He's like, I woke up one morning. I knew I had a very busy day, but he's like, I just felt this, uh, this kind of movement from the spirit that said, um, like, Lord, I, I. I welcome every interruption today as an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. Like, whoever you're going to interrupt my day with or inconvenience my day with, I will take it as an opportunity to share the gospel with them." And he, then he got into a fender bender.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: And he was like, oh, this is not what I meant, right? Someone bumped into him, right? And uh, as they're waiting, exchanging information, he begins. To evangelize him. He begins to share the faith with him. He says, hey, I noticed I noticed you got like a like a, a rosary hanging from your, your mirror. Like, are you Catholic? Or the guy's like, Yeah, I was Catholic. He's like, Oh wow, yeah, man. Yeah, I I used to be really far from the church. So he just began to share his testimony, his story. You know who was at Mass last weekend? That bro who fender bendered him. Come on, right? You just have to say the name. You just have you just gotta do it. You just gotta do it. I've met this person, Jesus Christ. He's changed my life. Let me tell you about him. I've met this person, Jesus Christ. He's changed my life. Let me tell you about him. Think about this. This is something that the Protestants do so well. I love our Protestant brothers and sisters. They are masters at evangelization. They're masters at marketing. They do so many things so much better than we do in the Catholic Church. One of the things they do so good is they train their people in sharing their testimony. Like... Be able to share your story like in 10 minutes or less. Be able to share your story in three minutes or less. Have a version of your story that's one minute long. Have a version of your story that's 30 seconds long. If all you have is 30 seconds with somebody, can you share your story in 30 seconds with them? If all you have is a minute, can you share it within a minute? I want us to all start practicing that, start working on that. What's your testimony? What's your story? Can you share it in 10 minutes, five minutes, three minutes, one minute, 30 seconds? I met Jesus Christ. He's changed my life. Let me tell you about him. That's it. All right. So, what was the strategic approach the apostles took to carry out this mission that Jesus gave them? Go therefore and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was their mission. What did they do? How did they do that? Right. So, if you imagine the, the apostles after the ascension, they gather right all eleven of them for their first new evan- for their first evangelization committee meeting, right? we've had committees since the beginning. So they have their first evangelization committee meeting. They're like, okay, agenda, write this down. Matthew, all right, write this down. Mission, bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Baptize everyone, apparently. Okay, how are we going to do that? What do we have at our disposal? Let's just take stock. Do we have any bishops? No. Do we have any priests? No. Any deacons? No. Any trained theologians? No, we got none of those. Uh, do we have any experts, trained apologists, people who can defend the faith? No. Experts in Christianity? No. Uh, do we have any religious orders? Jesuits, Franciscans, uh, Dominicans. Any of them people? No. Any seminarians? No. Nope. Seminaries? No. Christian believers? we got about a few hundred. Okay, all right, okay, all right. Write that down, right? Uh, countries with Christians in them? One. Do we have any church buildings? No. Schools or universities? None. Do we have any written gospels yet? No! <laughs> like, they didn't even have the Gospels. They didn't even have the New Testament. Do we have any money? Not really. Thanks, Judas. Okay.
1: <laughs> Do
0: we have any experience in foreign missions? No. Do we have any influential contacts in high places? Um, no. Well, John, you got that friend who knows the high priest, right? No, not really. Okay. Societal <laughs> attitudes towards us. Well, they did just crucify our guy, right? Like, So hostile to you know, ignorant at best. Again, what did they have? What did they have? They had their testimony. They had their story. They had what they experienced. They had their encounter with Jesus. And they were on fire. Acts of the Apostles, Acts 4.33 says this, And with great power, the apostles, gave their te- the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. With great power, Dunamis, explosive power. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony, their story to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all by sharing the story. That's how it happened. Because they had the courage to open their mouths. To open their mouths. I want to show you this. This is an amazing video. That just like it just shows the epic, incredible spread of Christianity. Mind you. For the first 300 something years, it wasn't just simply like taboo to be Christian. On the, in the Roman legal code, it was illegal to exist as a Christian. It was illegal to exist. You, you, were, you were an enemy of the state. You were an enemy of humanity. Because as a Christian, you stood a to the religious and political system you were a threat to the polity because you didn't worship the gods of the cities, the emperor, you didn't do any of that. You put people in danger. There was gonna be earthquakes and famines because of you. You had to be put down for the first 350 something years of the, of the church's existence. And this is what happened. In that context, this is what happened. that you could just like put that music to someone reading the phone book and it'd be like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's amazing, right? That is amazing. By the way, the Byzantine Empire is just another way of saying Christianity, right? Part of me wishes they would invert the colors that it would start white and go red because the only reason that happened is because untold millions of men women and children died for this faith like we have the faith because like someone like St. Tarsusius who was a little boy who was commissioned by the deacons in uh, Rome to carry the Eucharist consecrated by the bishop at mass to carry the Eucharist in the little pics to the, those who were sick in the city who couldn't come for Mass that Sunday. St. Tarsusius, holding this pics as a new Christian, on this mission, carrying Jesus, was discovered by his other friends who were Romans, non-Christian, pagans, and they wanted to know what he had, and he wouldn't show them, and they beat him to death in the street. Like, or Felicity and Perpetua. Like, young women who were gored to death by bulls in an arena. Like Saint Cecilia, Saint Philomena, like over and over and over again, like the baton was handed and it's been handed to us. Like, guess who's carrying it right now? You and me. We are holding the baton. We are holding the faith. Right? We are the ones that the flame is currently lit to. And we have to pass it. We have to pass it to the next generation. Ah, uh, they defeated it. defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony i want to ask you this question whose job is it to evangelize give you multiple choice the the popes a the pope b the bishops and priests c uh religious people men and women who are consecrated nuns brothers d um, the laity e all of the above above. Pope Paul VI. Pope St. Paul VI. The task of evangelizing all people constitutes the essential mission of the church. That is, in fact, the grace and vocation proper to the church. Her deepest identity. She, the church, exists in order to evangelize. To evangelize. The church does not exist in order to feed the poor. The church does not exist in order to to any of the other things that we do so well, to educate, to clothe, any of those things, to run hospitals, to run hospices. We exist to evangelize, and we do evangelize by doing those other things, but the primary mission, the primary reason the church exists is to hand on the good news, the life-changing, life-transforming news of Jesus' resurrection, his defeat of sin and death, and that you can live in friendship with him. Right? The church exists to tell people that. To tell people that. Think of it this way, like in Jesus the the recreation of the world has begun right that's why the gospel for the resurrection starts on the morning of the first day of the week right at dawn the sun is coming up just like in the very beginning the first day of the week let there be light let there be light jesus resurrected glorified like his new humanity resurrected humanity is not like this with a little bit extra like it is it is a humanity that is not subject to corruption anymore it's a humanity that is filled with light and joy right like he is he is creation perfected right he is the beginning of what god intends to do with the rest of creation right saint paul calls him the first fruits of the resurrection like I don't I don't know if any of you are like farmer people, right? But like the first fruits of a harvest, right? Like what are the first fruits of a harvest? Someone please. First fruits. <laughs> the first things, things that, pick, things first things that come up, right? Here's the first. Here's the first fruit. Which implies what? <laughs> more, will more will be coming. There will be more fruits. Wait, that was hard. (laughs) You are clearly not farmer people. Jesus is what what has happened to Jesus, God intends to do, the Trinity intends to do with the rest of creation, which means our job is not to escape earth to get to heaven. Our job is to bring heaven to earth. I'm going to say that again. This is huge. This is not how we think. This is not how most Christians think. Our job is not to escape earth and finally go to heaven. Our job is to hasten and bring heaven to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth As as it is in heaven. Like bring that down here. Our job is to bring heaven to earth, to start making the earth, these little parts of the earth where you happen to live, those little parts of the earth where you happen to have influence and sway, a bit more heavenly, right? Most Christians, like I said, do not have this view. It's this sort of like, me and Jesus, be good, escape earth, get to heaven. But that is not how the New Testament, New Testament depicts our mission. That's just not it. From the words of Jesus to the words of St. Paul, it's so clear that the idea is, like heaven is invading earth. Heaven's invading earth. That's what we're. That's that's what's happening. That's what's. That's what's happening. Like Jesus uses these image in the These images in the gospel. He says that you are to be salt and light and leaven. Salt and light and leaven. Let's pause and unpack these images here real quick. Um. Who likes to cook? Okay, so when you cook. I bet even cupcakes need a little bit of salt, Uh huh. right? You put a little bit of salt on everything, why? Why do you do that? What does it do? It brings out the flavor, right? It brings out the flavor. The thing that's already there, you add salt to it, it magnifies it, it enhances it, it brings out even greater goodness. What Jesus is saying is because you're a Christian, because you know me, because my life is now in you, wherever you go, You are meant to be an agent of magnification that you bring out the flavor. Whatever's good in a place, make it better by being there. Like, your being there is meant to make it better. Not to make, like, not to make it worse. (laughs) Right? Not to make it worse. Here's what's also really kind of cool, too. There's this, um, there's a a sort of military connotation as well. Right? In the ancient world, when, uh, when one army would come and conquer another territory, if they wanted to ensure that it was totally wiped out and annihilated, gone, dead, they would salt the earth. They would put salt into the ground so that nothing could then grow there. There are things in our world where you and I are meant to salt the earth, to like make war against everything that is inimical to human flourishing, freedom, happiness, holiness. Like there are things that are so contrary to the gospel, so contrary to human dignity, like St. Paul says, make no provision for these things. Like, leave no quarter. Like, leave, no, leave none alive. In the Old Testament, God puts it this way. Um, to the enemies of Israel, like the Amalekites, God tells Joshua to put the ban on the Amalekites. In other words, kill everything. Leave nothing alive. And says, then, Joshua mowed them down by the blade of his sword. Which to us, we, start, we hear that, we're like, whoa. Really God? But I want you to think about this. You go to your, your your doctor, your doctor says, I think we have to do some tests, we have to, we have to do some scans because there's some some masses that we're not sure about. Doctor tells you, Yeah, there, you've you've got some tumors, you have cancer. Doctor says, Well, we're gonna go and we're gonna do we're gonna operate. And we're gonna try and get everything. Like, okay. So you go under, they do the operation. And you wake up, the doctor says, Well, like, I got about 95% of it. How do you feel? Not good. What do you want to hear the doctor say? We got all of it with good margins. We put the ban on cancer. We destroyed all of it. Like, that's what God is saying in this. Like, there are things that God is saying, "I, I don't want you to, like... Like, don't tolerate it. Don't tolerate it. That's a hard thing for our modern world because we love tolerance so much. Tolerance isn't, a, by the, tolerance isn't a positive thing. It's an intrinsically negative thing. Like, you tolerate things that are displeasing. You tolerate things that are not good. Like, I tolerate, I'm tolerating this crappy weather that we're having right now, right? Like, <laughs> not very well, but I'm yeah. like, you tolerate, you tolerate rainy days. You tolerate people with bad attitudes around you, right? You don't tolerate people that you love Like, I don't want to be tolerated. my God, no. Like, I want to be loved. Like, if someone says, No, no, don't worry. I tolerate you. (laughs) Do you feel good about that? No!
1: Like, what the heck? What the heck?
0: Yeah. No! I don't want you to tolerate me. Anyway. All right. That's salt. Light. Let's talk about light. Light... In the ancient world, light is fire, light is heat, and light is hope. Right, light is hope. It brings comfort. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, I want you to be someone who brings light and warmth and hope and peace to people. Like, when you are with people, this is the kind of thing that you should bring out in people. Like, I think about when I was—I uh, mean, it wasn't too much long, too long ago—but like, shutting off the lights in the basement. All right, let's talk about how horrifying that is when you're, you know, eight years old. You shut off the lights in the furthest part of the basement. You're like, click, click, it's like getting darker. And you get to that last light on the step. You're like, <laughs>
1: like, you go up the steps
0: <laughs> like as fast as you possibly can, because there's something that's going to be like, like some monster is going to grab you, right? Light brings hope. Light brings peace, right? Light, light, that's what Jesus is saying. I want you to do this. I want you to be this. And finally, leaven, right? Leaven brings, like it, it magnifies the dough. It, it, it. It makes something that is, like, flat and dull into something that's delicious and wonderful, right? It magnifies. It makes it bigger. It makes it more wonderful. This is what he's saying. St. Paul Saint Paul speaks about this whole idea of new creation. New creation. You heard it in the, the, the when we addressed you, um, Robert, after you got baptized. You become a new creation. Another way of saying it is you become part of the new creation. You become part of the Jesus. You become part of the resurrected Jesus. The the recreation of the world. You become part of the new creation. You put on, like, heavenly DNA has entered into us. And you're meant to be transformed into something more. We have in our human consciousness this, like, ancient memory that says we are meant to be more than human. Like, why do you think the ancient Greeks dreamt up the gods? Why do you think they dreamt up like, Icarus flying to the sun. Why do, think, why do you think we have Marvel in DC Comics? Like, what do, What do we? what is going on in all of that? The idea of being superhuman. We're, we're longing for heaven. We're longing to be what God has made us to be. And then somewhere along the line, as we're growing up, like, that kind of gets beaten out of us. When you're a little kid, if you see, like, Halloween... In this school, it's very interesting, right? You see the little kids in their costumes on Halloween. I would say up till about, like, like fourth grade, you see a lot of superheroes. You see a lot of princesses. You see Iron Man, Batman, Spider-Man, Elsa, Anna. And then, like, in the upper grades, when the world just starts crushing them with, like, shame and look at yourself and fit in you see people you see the kids dressing up as things that are just stupid like mm-hmm. ironic like I'm, I'm a banana for Halloween wow that's really something <laughs> remember when you were like Iron Man two years ago because you thought like that was sweet and you could fly and shoot like laser beams out of your hands and now you're like I'm a banana <laughs>
1: like,
0: it's true it is true Right? It's so stupid. Ah. (laughs) What's that? No, you did not. Holly, take a lap. That's awful. Jeez Louise. Okay. So, the resurrection of Jesus occurs, what we say, on the eighth day of creation. Right? How many days in the first creation in Genesis? Seven, right? So you have in the New Testament where you have the gospel writers saying on the first day of the week. So if you're counting, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now on the first day of the week, we're at the first day of the new week, which is day what? Eight, right? The resurrection occurs on the eighth day, which is the signal that this is this is creation starting all over again. This is why traditional baptismal fonts have just take a guess how many sides eight 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 sides right to signal you are entering into the eighth day of creation yeah that's really cool every other part of creation will be resurrectified here's a great way to think about it on the morning of the resurrection Jesus has breakfast with his followers are you okay you two you need to be separated what resurrectified listen I'm a theologian I can make up words Stay with me. <laughs> On the morning of the resurrection, after Jesus was resurrectified, he uh, he has breakfast with his friends. He eats some baked fish, right? I love thinking about the life of that fish, okay? So like that fish woke up that morning or whatever and was just swimming along with all of his buddies, just doing his fish thing, part of creation. All of a sudden, a net gets thrown into not a net, Bernard, but a net, right? Annette! <laughs> <laughs> overboard! She gets thrown into... A, space, net. Gets thrown into the, to the water. All of a sudden, the fish are like... Ah, they're like getting hauled out onto the boat. There is the fish. There he is, suffocating, ah, right? And then he dies, okay? Still part of creation. Still part of creation. He gets hauled ashore. He gets hauled ashore by Peter when he sees Jesus. Jesus says, do you have anything to eat? Peter's like, I got all this fish. Hauls him to shore, start making, baking fish for breakfast, which seems gross to me. But you're having baked fish over charcoal fire for breakfast. The resurrected Jesus takes a bite of the fish. That fish becomes now part of the resurrected body of Jesus, Right? when Jesus disappears, again, it's not as though like that fish, goes, it's like going down, okay? And now it's like this glob of goo in his resurrected stomach. And when he disappears, it's not like he disappears and the fish just goes on the ground. Okay? It doesn't just go splat onto the ground. That fish gets taken up into the resurrected body of Jesus. Right That little fish, he's tasting the resurrection, right? He was just swimming along and now he's like, "I'm in the Trinity, I'm in the beatific vision. This is unbelievable. It's incredible, right? You, uh, you would driving all, all the times, all the times, all the times. yeah. Yeah, yes, Robert
1: make a pixar
0: movie yeah that little fish man he is in the glory i'm jealous of that fish so think about this and like we still see this we still see this happening every single mass right little elements of creation bread wine that would like that wheat. That wheat that was just flowing in the wind, being wheat, gets cut down, turned into flour, that flour gets turned into bread. That bread happens to be turned into bread that's made into hosts. Those hosts get placed upon our altar. All of a sudden, schwabam, they are now turned into the resurrected flesh of Jesus. Like what's, ha- what's happened to like, what happened to that fish, what happened to Jesus' body, what happens to bread and wine, will happen to everything. It'll happen to the matter of this water bottle. It'll happen to your body and my body and everybody. Like the great epiclesis, right? The calling down of the Spirit upon the altar that happens in Mass will happen to the entire universe. Everything will be taken into Jesus. Heaven comes to earth. Heaven comes to earth. St. Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, you guys doing okay? You alright? You with me so far? Alright. Yes. When you say it happens to everything, I mean, everyone that's a believer,
1: right? What happens to those that that don't choose
0: Christ? Eternity is a bodily experience for everybody. Yeah. But they don't. When you say unbelievers, you mean the damned? Yeah, that's that's that is the, like that is the the torment. They're not brought into the beatific vision. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good question. Saint Paul says to the Philippians, he says, "Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body to be like His glorious body." by the power which enables him to even to subject all things to himself." Okay. Again, nearly everybody misunderstands what Paul means by this. I think most people think, um, like, he's saying that heaven is our real home. Like, our citizenship is in heaven. Like, that's my real home. This is my, like, temporary home. And in a sense, that's right, but that's not what he's... You have to understand Paul through the lens of, a, like, first century Judaism, first century, first century, like, Roman culture. Philippi, right, the colony that he's writing to, Philippi was a, it was a Roman colony. Uh, and it was, it was a, um, it was filled with former Roman legionaries, like, legionaries. Um, officers from the army. Because <laughs> Rome didn't want, like, the capital to be filled with all of these former generals and, like, war heroes, right? Just in case any of them got the idea of being, like, et tu brute, and taken down Caesar again, right? They all wanted, they wanted to get them out of the capital. So they settled them in this colony called Philippi, and they were meant to bring the Roman way of life to bear in this part of the world. Like, like you're a Roman citizen, bring Rome to Philippi. Romanize Philippi. Make it more Roman, right? Bring the Roman way of life there. That's what St. Paul is saying, He says, "You are our citizenship is in heaven. Like, like we belong to heaven. Bring the heavenly way of being to earth. Bring the heavenly way of being to earth." Paul also says, "He says in in Second Corinthians, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. Christ, God, making His appeal through us. We are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador?" Whom do they represent? Think about like political ambassadors. The head of state, right? So like the, the ambassador from the United States in Rome represents the interests, or represents the, uh, in Italy, represents the interests of the United States and the President of the United States in a foreign territory, right? So here's the thing about an ambassador. What, uh, what authority, what rights does an ambassador have or enjoy when he's in another country? immunity, right? He enjoys, like, he has the authority of the head of state that he represents, I mean, with some qualifications, right? He can't just, like, declare war, right? Um, He has the authority of the head of state whom whom he represents, and he's not subject to the laws of that country or territory. He's immune from them, right? I want you to think about it this way, or or, one more question. The ambassador resides in the embassy, right? So you step inside the embassy, where like you step inside the embassy in Guam, where are you suddenly in? Are you still in Guam? You're in the you're in the U S. Yeah, you're on U S. soil, which is really important. a Number of years ago, when I was in Rome, and a buddy of mine lost his passport, and we had to go to the I know so. Like you idiot! <laughs> we had to go to the uh, the U.S. Embassy in uh, in Rome to get his passport, and you walk in there, and I'll never forget it, right? Because I we had been in Rome for about three or three three months at that point, and you just you get really accustomed to like Italian things, Italian sizes of things. Like Italian chairs are just so much smaller, and I always recognize that because I'm a huge guy, right? Tables are felt smaller, chairs felt smaller, everything was tighter and more compact, and um, go inside the embassy, it's like, oh, my God, like, what? things are huge. Like, I, that chair is massive, right? It was just suddenly like, this is so wild, right? right? United States was, like, suddenly there, right? The embassy, heaven's embassy, is the parish. The parish. This is meant to be heaven's embassy. When people step into our parish, when they come here, they're meant to be like, whoa! Oh, this is like different. There's something different. The chairs are bigger, right? Like whatever that equivalent is, like there. whatever the world feels like out there is not how it feels in here. Like why, why are you guys so good to each other? You're so kind, you're so loving. You actually like, when you say, how are you? You actually want to answer, right? Um, What like what is what's in the vents? What are you breathing in here? Right, it's the incense. That's right. (laughs) Secret recipe. (laughs) So we've got to rethink all this. At the end of Mass, it's it's here. It's the deacons who proclaim the dismissal. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. There's three. There's three options. That's his favorite. The other two, go and announce the gospel of the Lord and go forth the mass is ended all three of those start with the word go go which next to the words of consecration the words of dismissal are are the second most important words of mass because it's saying okay get out of here and now go take what you've just received and bring it into the world like you just got your candle lit again because, like, the whole past week you had a really hard week and you screwed up, you were a stupid sinner and you got your candle blown out. Jesus is like, I'm going to relight your candle. Now go out there and light someone else's candle. Go. Get out of there. Like, we have to, we have to, we have to have this conversion of thinking that the church, our parish is not the place we go to on Sundays. Listen, the parish is the place we are deployed from on Sundays into the rest of the week. If we don't, like, I'm gonna beat this drum until like my my stick breaks um, if we don't get this in our heads, our parish will not exist fifty years from now 20 years from now we have to think different we have to think different we have to we have to be mission minded like there there's a parish uh, I think it was in Cincinnati a friend of mine was there. And at the entrances, or at the exits of the parking lot, there was big signs that as you left the church parking lot, it said, now entering mission territory. Which I really like. Uh-huh. Yeah, now entering mission territory. Like, hey, you, you, there are people, you have a rendezvous with people. There's someone that the Lord is putting on your path, uh, to go bring the gospel to. Your mission is not to go to church on Sundays. That's a commandment. Your mission is to leave church on Sundays and bring the gospel to other people out in the world. Everything that we are meant to be as Catholics is to bring the gospel out into the world. That's your mission field. Whew. Sound good? Does that sound right? You with me? Yes? Good. Okay. Um, I just want to skip ahead of here. So Father, Father, yeah. So what about those Areas like where we work or whatever where we cannot proselytize or, you know, we can't overtly Yeah, we're never called to uh, proselytize. Proselytize means like, yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) We, We propose. We propose the gospel. Make people, like you should be living a kind of joy and infectious love that brings people to a tipping point of saying, all right, what's the deal? What's going on? What, how, how do I explain you? And you're like, oh, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Yeah, right? Like that's that's the answer. Jesus said you don't light a, you don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. And like I know some of us are in occupations where you feel like you have to wear a bushel basket to go to work. Jesus is saying you need to mat you need to let that light shine right you need to let the light shine you, you need to be I mean he also says be as cunning as serpents and as wise as doves right or whatever it is you know what i mean he's saying he's like he's basically saying don't be don't be reckless and stupid like be prudent about it but i think i think often we mistake we hide behind we hide our cowardice behind prudence sometimes right? Like, oh, I'm just being prudent. Are you, or are you just... I'm not, I'm not saying this is you, Laura. I just think that if in our Christian culture, the, the virtue most missing is, is courage. Um, yeah, I think that's the virtue that's most missing. I, I, we, we, we've just got to get more creative about how we, how we share the gospel, right? Um, let your joy be so infectious, let your cross necklace be so stupidly big, right? Like, um, yeah, like, I don't know. Um, Yeah, but that's a good question because this this is what we are called to be, right? The Church Fathers had this saying that cult cultivates culture. Cult cultivates culture. Cult is meant to cultivate culture. Cult means worship, right? It doesn't mean like Bob Jones. Um, It means... The way we, way, the way we worship and what we worship is meant to cultivate the culture. Culture, like properly speaking, culture comes from cult, which is why you can see how our culture is in a total free fall because it has kicked out the cult. <laughs> like worship is not allowed. You're not allowed to talk about worship. No Jesus. Get Jesus out of the public square. Okay well then good luck with your culture. Good luck with your culture. Like this is who this is what you're meant to be. Jesus is saying I want to like I want you to put yourself into the soil around you. You know, it was Mother Teresa who would often say, I mean when she started her order, the Missionaries of Charity, there were often so many people, so many girls would come to her order say, "Mother, I want I want to join you. I want to be with you on this mission." And she would send them packing by the hundreds, by the thousands, she would say, go home. She would say, find your own Calcutta. That's that's awesome, right? Like you don't have to go to the other side of the world to find people to be on mission for. Your mission territory is, it's your 10 foot sphere around you. Those people, those people who are around you, your families, your kids, your marriage, the neighbor to your left, the neighbor to your right, do you know your neighbors? Right? Yeah. Well, I'm looking at that image and it's like the soil was caused by fire. Mm. And,
1: and then it's dark. And I think as things get darker, and, and the, the light, like it shines brighter. Like so, you, you know, you who just became Catholic. You're gonna really see
0: Yeah, yeah. They say that converts make the best Catholics. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I mean, some of the best scripture scholars... I, I think Brant Petrie might be the only like scripture scholar that I know, popular scripture scholar, who is not a convert. But he did almost walk away from the church a few times. Um, converts make the best Catholics in some ways because like, you, you have fought for this, you've chosen this, you have worked through the intellectual stuff, you've wrestled with it. You probably know more about the Catholic faith now, having gone through this year, um, this year of formation, than probably 95% of Catholics in the pews. Most cradle Catholics don't outgrow the cradle. And they still prefer baby food. Like, no, don't give me anything solid and chew on. I don't even have teeth. (laughs)
1: Like,
0: Sweet mercy, I know. (laughs) Quit throwing up on me. I <laughs> have to change your diaper again on Saturday mornings. <laughs> That's what confessions are. <laughs> with no diaper genie. All right. <laughs> it's so important to do this, this evangelization stuff with, with um, the, the buzzword right now in the church in many ways is accompaniment. It just means, like, your willingness to walk with people. You know, I've often thought, like, um, how much truth should I share with people, right? Like, should I, the, the, you know, the bartender that I meet uh, who's clearly not living a life in conformity with the gospel, should I just start, like, hammering some big heavy truths on him? Probably not, because I'm not really willing to walk with that guy. I'm not really in a position to walk with him. Right? I think the amount of truth that we share with people should be in proportion to the amount that we're willing to walk with them. Like, be willing to walk with people. Be willing to invest in people. Um, yeah, because I think if we just wield the truth just like willy-nilly, like, yeah, and morality, yeah, yeah, right, like, we just, we, just are, we're hurt, we just end up hurting people because that's truth without charity. Um, so close quarters accompaniment, be willing to walk with people. At the end of the day, people become Catholic and Christian, not because necessarily they become convinced of all the intellectual arguments, they become Catholic and Christian, Christian and Catholic, because they've met a Christian, because they've met a Catholic, who's who gives a compelling witness. This story, I don't know if you remember this picture. Nope, nope. I'm gonna skip this clip, even though it's awesome, from The Chosen. I know. Remember this picture? I know. It's really hard. It's really, really hard. The twenty Coptic martyrs. Um, Nineteen of them were Christians. One of them was actually a Muslim. His name was Matthew Ayagira. He just was the wrong kind of Muslim. He was. He was rounded up with these other Christian men. He was held in prison with them, um, and he was so moved by their kindness, by their boldness, by their faith. Um, that when it came time for this moment they asked him do you renounce your branch of Islam do you, will you, do you embrace ours and he said no, no, no their faith is my faith their God is my God and he died a Christian martyr I want to end by sharing a reflection with you that I think is quite awesome, and it's always nice to have some inspiring tunes in the
1: background.
0: When we cast our mind upon the world, and try to take a broad view of what is going on around us, we tend to see things under the limits of the present age and time. Look at various countries and peoples that populate the globe, and we situate them according to their current conditions. If we remember what is past, it is only as a way of shedding light on the present. The Roman Empire, once mighty, is now gone. So are the great Mesopotamian civilizations of the Assyrians and Babylonians. Ancient Egypt remains with us only in the artifacts it left behind. The Persian, Ptolemaic, and Seleucid empires are known to specialists alone. All these have been relegated to the dustbin of history. They once were, and now they are no more. By the logic of earthly time, such a view of past civilizations and vanished peoples makes a certain sense. As the prophet Isaiah once said, Behold, the nations are like a drop from the bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. All the nations are as nothing before God, they are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. But when our gaze shifts to the church, we can make the mistake of thinking about its existence and its fortunes in the same way. We can view the church according to its current earthly presence and influence and consider its health and its possible future in that light alone. We can look at past ages of the church as vanished and gone, no longer in existence. Such a view might be accurate if the church were like other human institutions. But the church is not like other human institutions. It is a divine body, rooted in eternity, whose life is regulated by a rhythm that is not restricted by time or place. If we could see the church as it really is, if our view could be opened upon what the angels see, we would be presented with a very different picture. We would see a vast company beyond the reach of death, pulsating with divine brightness, basking in the beauty and light of God, powerful in spiritual weaponry centered on the figure of their divine and beloved King, drenched in joy and eager for the continued gathering in of the renewed human race. We would see an ever-growing body as each generation on earth passed through the veil from the land of shadows into the real world. And those who had been found faithful to their rightful king shook off the last traces of their mortality and were welcomed home by their brothers and sisters. We would see the angels there, myriads upon myriads of mighty spirits in the praise of God and in their help for humans. We would see the 12 apostles still administering the church's life, taking thought for their brothers and sisters who were fighting for their place in the kingdom. And we would see Mary, The Queen Mother, now revealed in all her beauty and authority, eager to bring aid with tender pity to those of her children still languishing under the ancient curse. We would see all the Great Ones from every age united together in friendship and joy, as each generation brought another rich harvest to the growing body of perfected humanity, until the times were fulfilled and all were gathered in. As we looked more intently, we would see that this glorious body was not in some distant place in a galaxy far, far away, but was mysteriously inhabiting our own reality, though on a different and higher plane. We would see the thinness of the veil separating them from us, a veil through which there was constant communication and communion. We would see that all those who are now alive on earth The whole of the world's population were but a momentary snapshot of the actually existing human race. We would see the Christians living on earth as an outpost of the glorious company, sharing its divine life and potency. We would note that these earthly Christians were the least numerous and least potent members of the church's body, inhabiting the far outskirts of its life, still plagued by inner corruption and weakness, doing their very best to carry the flag of the kingdom for a brief time as they were put upon their trial. One sometimes hears the question asked whether or not the church will survive. When the true nature of things is seen, the question becomes comical. Not only will the church survive, if such an anemic word can describe the dynamism of, dynamism of its bursting life, but the church is the only part of humanity that will survive. The church is already beyond the ravages of time, free from the darkness of sin and the tyranny of the devil, and its future is gloriously and totally secure. The only question facing those still living on earth is whether they will be joined to that bright race of divinized humans or insist on clinging to a dying and enslaved remnant of humanity that has no future but the shadows. To lay out the deep history of humanity in this way is to address the genuine drama going on all around us, but it is a largely hidden drama. The perspective given us by that drama helps to explain great world events and significant historical developments, many of which remain an unsolvable riddle without it. But the drama itself usually proceeds under the surface of things, clothed in the stuff of normal daily life, working its way most profoundly in the minds and consciences, the hidden decisions and acts of each person as they make their way among their families their friends and all their fellow immortals along the path of life so the battle for humanity will go on until the one who rules all destinies decides that the time of fulfillment has arrived christ continues in every age to build his kingdom to assault the powers of evil to attack the fortress of darkness and to set its captives free Satan angrily attempts in every age to fend off that attack, trying to maintain his deceitful but now fragile sway over human souls, and to cling, however vainly, to his illegitimate power. Into that battle, into the complexities and mysteries of a graced creation, into a zone of light and shadow, of high hope and quiet despair, of beauty and corruption sprung from a race of rebels, some allied to and enslaved by the devil's tyranny and others struggling against it by God's power, one fine day, we were born. Conceived from all eternity in the mind of God, created by him with a high purpose and a hoped-for destiny, We were brought into existence under the watchful and loving eye of the Lord of the universe himself. In the high stakes drama all around us, we have each been given a part to play, one that bears our name and no one else's. We each have the mercy of God to receive, a self to put to death, a kingdom to win, a battle to fight, and spiritual enemies to slay comrades to aid, rebels to win over, and a life of love to build as we fulfill our task of inhabiting and reflecting the bright life and love of God refracted uniquely through each of his children. If the Father's hopes for us are fulfilled, we will embrace the part we have been given. We will receive the grace of forgiveness and new life, renounce the ways of God's enemy, walk the noble road, lowly shown us by his Son, learn the lessons of humble warfare, and ultimately ascend the thrones prepared for us before the foundation of the world as kings and queens of God's creation. If we squander our high birthright, forget who we are, conform ourselves to the world's dark ways, and despise the promises held out to us, like Esau before us, we will forfeit our place in the design of God and end as broken failures. Here then is the real significance of that potent but often misused word, choice. The ancient battle rages all around us and the great adventure we were born for beckons. Life and death are held out to us and all heaven's bright company is aiding us. Our time on earth is short. Our eternal destiny awaits. The choice is in our hands. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord God Almighty, let us hold that vision. Let us hold that vision so close. Keep that vision of truth and reality before our minds always, Lord, that you have made us for a definite purpose, that we are willed and chosen and called, that we are part of a great drama, a theodrama, and there are souls that you have placed on our path that we are meant to influence, that this Christian life of public witness and rescue is ours for the time being give us the grace give us courage courage lord courage heart give us heart to carry the flag forward and to plant your cross into every relationship every situation every place where there is not love let us put love where there is not flavor let us bring out flavor Where there is darkness, let us bring light, and where there is despair, let us bring hope. May we be the agents of transformation you called us to be, sons and daughters of the kingdom, citizens of heaven, and heirs of a birthright we cannot even begin to fathom. Mother Mary, above all, we place ourselves entirely in your hands, you who are the queen and commander of the armies of heaven. Pray for us, O blessed queen. Pray for us, O Mother. Never leave our side and lead us to our true home. We make this prayer, Jesus, in your mighty and holy name. Amen. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.